Father, we are incredibly grateful for everything you've done up to this moment. Uh, God, for, for meeting us, uh, for inhabiting the praise of your people, being thrown, enthroned by them, for meeting us at the communion table and let us have that moment of worship, God. And as we turn to your word now, uh, I pray that you would be the one who speaks, uh, that you would be the one who convicts and encourages, you'd be the one that pushes, pushes us to and identifies for us the next step that we can take uh, closer to you, that you'd get the glory from all this. And we ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. So I have a, a sort of a love-hate relationship uh, with travel. Here's how I'd put it. I, I love going places. I just really hate getting there, right? Um, I found that I, I really enjoy seeing new things. I enjoy trying new foods. I enjoy being places that I've never been. I, love, I especially love seeing how God is at work in different contexts around the world. There's something to just, just standing somewhere that you've only seen in pictures because pictures never do it justice. I've always enjoyed connecting with people from different backgrounds and cultures. It just increases my wonder and creativity with, uh, uh, I wonder with the creativity of God. But I do not like travel. I have to psych myself up to go to the south side of Terre Haute. I tell my like, people do it every day. It's not that far, right? But it's, you know, it's all the stoplights and there's always a train, right? You just got to talk yourself into it. I don't like driving. I don't like flying. I don't like riding long distances. I haven't found a single means of travel that doesn't hurt my back, Right? And so there's always this tension in me that I'm really wanting to go somewhere and really not wanting to go somewhere. And so if any of you Rose students especially want to get to work on teleportation, please get on that, all right? But I want to give my wife a lot of credit, right? She's been an agent of positive change for me in this because before I got married, the part of me that didn't want to go anywhere always won. Right? And so I would pass on trips to the beach. I would pass on trips to see the mountains in Colorado, all to stay in the paradise that is known as Cloverdale, Indiana. Not because I thought Cloverdale was better. I just didn't want to take the trip. Right? And she just wouldn't accept that. And so for our honeymoon, the very first thing we did to get married is I traveled outside the country for the first time. And it began the process of, of unraveling some of this and, and realizing the truth that I needed to know, that if the destination is worth it, then so is the travel, as little as I'd like it. So now, as I approach any kind of travel, I keep my focus on the destination. I keep my focus on, on, on the end point, right? If there's any kind of dread I have about the trip itself, I've also discovered another thing, that all I have to do is just start it. That just backing up and pulling out of my driveway, I'm already more at peace because every second from there is another second closer to the travel being over. Now, there's a quote I'm sure that you've heard or maybe you read on somebody's social media profile who's trying way too hard to be profound, but the quote is this, that a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Deep, right? Well, either deep or the most obvious thing ever, but the other thing about this should be obviously true is this, that a journey of a thousand miles doesn't only begin with a single step, it's continued with a single step after a single step after a single step after a single step. I mention this because we see a picture of this in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us this. It says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Have you ever thought of the Christian life as a race? That's, that's the image that we're given there, that the Christian life is a race, mainly a, a marathon, that we are to run with endurance, with perseverance. And the way that we do that is we keep our focus on the destination. That Jesus Christ is the prize. That he's not just the author and initiator of our faith, he's the perfecter of it, he's the end of it. That what we are pursuing is actually Christ-likeness. What we are pursuing is becoming more and more like him. 
But what I've noticed in that analogy is that the destination can seem so far off that we lose sight of the importance of what the next single step is. If we get too intimidated by how far we have to go and we get overwhelmed or often we just get distracted by lesser important things. But all we really have to do is just take the next step and then take the one after that and then take the one after that. All while keeping Jesus the aim of our pursuit. Because every race is run, every race is won, one step at a time. And so the key is just take that next step. And so if you're here and you've gotten overwhelmed or lost or maybe just distracted by life recently or if you could just say, honestly, you just haven't intentionally pursued Jesus recently, that you cannot remember the last intentional step or commitment closer to Christ that you've taken, I'm really glad you're here today because we're gonna see Paul encourage Timothy to do those very things as we jump back into 2 Timothy. And so I'm gonna invite Chris Mathis forward to read today's passage for us. He's gonna be reading 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. And if you are physically capable, would you please stand with him to honor the reading of God's word? Morning, Chris. Thank you, Chris. You guys can have a seat. Please keep your Bibles open right there to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Anything else, obviously, we'll put on the screens for you. But I want to give you a few points of context because it's been five weeks since we've been in, in 2 Timothy. So let's, let's catch up together. 2 Timothy is a letter from Paul to Timothy. Uh, Timothy was Paul's protege in the faith. He calls him his son in the faith. And they were traveling together, uh, visiting different churches. When they got to a church in the city of Ephesus, they were both shocked at how and how bad a shape this church was. Right? It was just in shambles. False teaching had just taken over, and there was nothing good happening. And so Paul didn't feel right leaving there. And so what he did was he, he left Timothy, one of his chief uh, helpers, there to become the pastor, become the chief shepherd of that church, and clean it up. And so we've already looked together as a church through 1 Timothy, and this year we've been going through 2 Timothy. And in chapter 1, uh, we've, we're almost through chapter 2, and chapter 1 was that more of the pastoral peer. Right? It, it, Paul was writing Timothy about not being ashamed of the gospel, not being ashamed of suffering. Uh, he, was telling, he was encouraging him to, to rekindle the flame of the gift of God and serving God that he had in him, to stay loyal to the gospel. And in chapter 2, he's got much more practical. Right? He, he began using analogies like a soldier and a farmer and athlete to build into the idea, uh, build into the, the heart of Timothy, this, this idea of perseverance, of staying faithful for the long haul. And in the last half of chapter 2, which we're in this morning, starting in verse 14, he's been telling Timothy how to deal with those who want to get Timothy off message and off mission. And so in that, some 14 to 21, he's encouraged him repeatedly to separate himself from false teachers. He's encouraged him to be set apart, to be useful for God, to, to avoid the irreverent and, and empty speech and to, and to not engage in useless arguments. Which brings us to our verse today, verse 22. And there are three things that Paul tells Timothy to do. So look again at verse 22, and it just simply starts with this. Flee from youthful passions. Flee from youthful passions. Now at this time, Timothy is still a young man. Right? He, was, he was incredibly young when Paul left him and, and Ephesus and wrote the first letter. A couple more years have passed, a few more years, and now he's writing 2 Timothy. So, so he's still a young man at this point, and so Timothy still has the zeal of youth, which has some really great advantages, by the way. 
but it also has some drawbacks. Right, youthful zeal can be a wonderful tool for the kingdom of God. They have energy, they have excitement, they have optimism. They have, uh, they, a lot of times they have a really deep faith or have really strong convictions even at a young age. And we, see, uh, we saw Paul encourage Timothy in his youthfulness in the first letter. Remember this, 1 Timothy chapter 4? He tells Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth. The, the phrase literally means that don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. But instead, here's what you do. You set an example. You set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Now I'm going to tell you that there are few things more awesome to see than a young person who's on fire for God. And whenever I see it, especially around here, it never fails to excite me. But here in the second letter, especially in the context of what he's talking about right here, Paul is warning Timothy this time about a tendency that can come with his age. See, when we read youthful passions... I have a feeling most of you, like me, as soon as you see that phrase, you automatically assume that means having to do with lust or impurity or hormones or something with, with, with youth, right? But this entire section, we need to look at the context of it. This entire section is, de- is on dealing with people who are trying to distract Timothy and get him off message and get him off mission. It's dealing with people who are trying to drag him down into meaningless arguments and get him engaged in debates that just aren't of highest importance. In fact, uh, let's look ahead to the next Sunday. Look ahead at verse 23. comes right after verse 22. He tells them outright, but reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know they breed quarrels. And so it's apparent from the context that when, when Paul refers to youthful passions here, what he's referring to is, is a zeal that goes unchecked. And so what it results in is impatience and, and too high a level of self-assertion or love or propensity to argue. It's because convictions are held so deeply that there's a tendency to see yourself as right on everything and every issue is worth going to battle over. Now, I've, I've seen this in my own life, right? My theology has barely changed, if at all, since my early to mid-20s, right? What I believe about God, what I believe about His Word, what I believe about Jesus, all the same, and yet there was a long list of things that early 20s Brett was super sure of and willing to debate you on. Yet 40-year-old Brett is less sure of and not willing to debate you on because it doesn't matter to me anymore. And what I learned doesn't make sense at first, but it does clearly now. And it's this, that just because you're right doesn't mean you're not wrong. Just because you're right doesn't mean you're not wrong. That there are things that you can be right about that just aren't of higher importance. Or you can think you're right about that just aren't of higher importance. It wasn't Timothy's job to run around and engage fully in every falsehood and in every preference and every debate and every cause that came up. Because the world and his church at Ephesus and God's kingdom and the salvation of others would not rise and fall on Timothy's heroics. And he needed to learn this. And this is not just... For young people, by the way. It's just that Paul was writing to a young man at the time. Because there are some people who never seem to grow out of this. They might listen to people, but what they're listening for is they're listening to parse words and pick apart everything. They're not ever listening to learn. They're looking for disagreement. They're looking for debate because they actually enjoy it. They want to grant themselves platforms of influence that no one else has granted them. And this isn't new, by the way. 
This was happening all the way back in Timothy's time. Look, look, remember this from 1 Timothy in chapter 1, where Paul tells Timothy, leading up to this verse, that the real goal of Christian instruction is love and purity and sincerity of heart. And he says in verse 6 that some have departed from those goals. And instead, what they've turned aside to is fruitless discussions. And, here, and here's the key. They want to be teachers of the law, Paul says, although they don't understand what they're saying or what they're insisting on. Not a new problem. So how do we avoid this? Right? And how do we work through this? Especially we see it in ourselves, a propensity to, to engage in every debate and make sure that people agree with me on everything. Well, there's a few things that we can do. Number one is simply this. Just stay in your lane. Remember that all people are fallen. And it's not your job to correct everyone and everything. We need to be slow to and fearful of granting ourselves platforms. And we need to use any platform that God has given us for the greater good. To point people to the love and hope and truth that is found in Christ and his word because it's not about us at all. Our job is not to go out and recreate ourselves everywhere as if the world needs more Brits. Yikes, right? People don't need to agree with us on every single issue. The only, the, like the only asterisk I give to that is that you decided that you're going to root and wish good things on the St. Louis Cardinals. You probably just need to stop doing that, all right? But besides that, okay, we should just strive. What we should strive to use our platform and influence for is this. We should strive to help them love Christ and become more like him. And that's the list. And then we earn platforms the way that Jesus told us to. Remember what Jesus said? He said, those who are faithful in little will be put in charge of much. We earn the right to speak into others' lives, whether it's truth, whether it's love, whether it's correction. We earn the right to speak in their lives when we show them that we care about them. We show them that we love them. We show them we care about their soul and about their life and about their family and their concerns. Then and only then will they listen to our words more earnestly. And that's why Timothy is told what he's told in this verse. It's not just that he's to flee the youth of fashion. He's to pursue the things that really make a difference. Look at verse 22 again. It says, flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So he's to flee the things that will take him off message and off mission. And he's to pursue the things that will help him love and point and serve others to Christ, right? He's, he's given a list similar to lists that we've seen in 1 Timothy. And this list is the thing that, that, that Timothy should be zealously pursuing, right? These are things that would make him set apart as he was called to early in chapter. These are the things that will actually give him godly influence. Because think about this list. Timothy, you should pursue righteousness. In a world that stands for nothing, in a world that rejects truth and standards of all kinds, be a person of integrity. Be a person of moral character. Be a person of truth. No, it's not pursuing self-righteousness, but righteousness. This is not a feeling of superiority over others, but pursuing the holiness that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not justifying your sin. It's not elevating your desires over God's design. It's not explaining away your sin. It's asking the Lord to grant you more and more righteous to make you more and more like him. That will make a difference. Pursue faith, Timothy, in a world that's full of confusion and worry. Be a person of quiet faith and resting in the Lord, and that will give you a powerful example. As your hopes and your mood and your joy doesn't rise and fall with world events or the circumstance of your life because you know whom you have believed and you know that he's on the throne and you know that he has you. And so rest in that. Pursue peace. 
in a world that's more divided by the day, be the person, be the one person everybody knows is really hard to offend. And when you're hurt or offended, ask the Lord to help you go, let go of that as quickly as possible. Be an agent of peace. Focus on what you have in common with others. Jesus himself said, blessed are the peacemakers. Because if you're a person of peace, you're going to be a breath of fresh air to others. And then pursue love. In a world of self-promotion and selfish pursuit, be the person who loves others and expects nothing back in return. Ask the Lord to, to give you a, a genuine heart for others. Meet them in their struggles. Serve them in their needs, right? Search for empathy in their disdain. Celebrate their victories. And I assure you that your impact will skyrocket. I promise you. It's a powerful list. But it doesn't just happen, does it? It doesn't even happen by me saying, like, I want these things. And so, okay, well, since I want them, now I'm a person of righteousness and faith. It's not how it works. Note the language in the verse. These are active verbs. Flee, Timothy, and then pursue. And so the question is, how do we pursue these things, right? How do we pursue them? We pursue the source of them. Because all these things are fruits of the Holy Spirit. They're all characteristics of Christ himself. And so we don't find these things by pursuing self-improvement. We need to pursue the source of life change, and we're told what that is in the Bible. John 15, Jesus says, Remain or abide in me, and I will in you. He says, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine or connected to the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. Because I'm the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him will produce much fruit. And here's the key, because you can do nothing without me. You want righteousness, you want faith, you want peace, you want love, you want the fruits of the Spirit, you can't accomplish them without Jesus at all. It's impossible. It's been the theme throughout 2 Timothy. You cannot bypass God and get to godliness. Right? If godliness is your goal, you can't go around God to get there. It must be through him. To become more like Christ, we must pursue Christ. And then the third thing that Paul drops in here is that, we are, is that Timothy is to join others who are pursuing the same thing. Now, if you think the 2 Timothy 2, 22 sounds pretty similar to verse we've already studied, it's because you're right. It's almost exactly like 1 Timothy 6, 11, in which Timothy was told, as a man of God, there are things that he needs to flee from, and there are things that he needs to pursue. From, pursue. But this command at the end of the verse, in verse 22 here in chapter 2, this is new in 2 Timothy. Right, the part where he says, along with all others who call on the Lord from a pure part, that's added in the second letter. And I have a theory as to why. And it's because Paul knew the situation in Asia. Remember in chapter 1, verse 15, he tells Timothy, you know that all those in Asia have deserted me. Timothy was in Asia. So he was surrounded by deserters of Paul and deserters of the gospel and deserters of truth. And so they've already spent a good portion of this letter of Paul is telling Timothy to be set apart, to, to separate himself from those false teachers, to not engage with those who want to get him off mission. But what Timothy needs to know is that separation is so much better than isolation. Yes, Timothy, separate from that which is false, but do not pursue a lifestyle of isolation because Timothy was made in the image of God, which means that he's just like all of us. He needs other people. We need others because we've been created with a need for community by a God who exists in perfect community in the Trinity and who made us in his image. 
And so, yes, Timothy's life was hard. His job was hard. His calling was hard. There were always going to be challenges. But everything is better when we're rowing together in the same direction with other people. Our faith thrives. Our pursuit of Christ gets easier when we are in community, especially when we join up with those who are pursuing the same things we are. Which is why there are certain things that we must fight to avoid in the local church. We should not have silo ministries that see themselves as separate from the rest of the church is the only reason why somebody would be here. We should not ever isolate ourselves individually from the church. When, when life gets hard or someone hurts us, drawing away from the fellowship of the body is the worst idea that we could have. And we should not isolate within the church either. That if you only have interest in coming to the same service and meeting with the same group of people and never ever branching out, you're missing out on a huge part of being the church. You're closing yourself off to so much of what God wants and could do in your life, and you're actually living in disobedience to his word. We need to find others who, like Paul, who are further down the line from us and, and hook up with them. And we need to find others who, like Timothy, aren't as far down the line from us and hook up with them and invest in them. But all of us who are on the journey to the same destination, who are pursuing Jesus, who are becoming his disciples, who are wanting more of him, and then jump in with them and, and pursue this together. We cannot be isolating ourselves to our age group, our circle, or our favorites all the time. Not in the body of Christ. It's just not allowed. We are here for the mutual benefit and encouragement of each other. Timothy needed community. He needed others to spur on his pursuit and commitment. And so do I. And so do you. Now we mentioned of all the chapters in this letter, chapter 2 is the most practical. And so as we talk this morning about how should we respond to this, how should we apply this, what we're really talking about is this. How are we going to put these things that Paul tells Timothy into action in our own lives? And, and before we get to that, I just want to remind you that, that the journey of a thousand miles doesn't begin with a single step. It continues with multiple single steps along the way. And so, so for, our, for our application, let's just take our clues directly from 2 Timothy this morning. And the first is simply this, is that we should flee. Right, Timothy was told to flee youthful passions, right? Because the reason why is because it would get him off mission. It would get him off message. It would keep him from a greater surrender to and connection to Jesus. And so for you this morning, what I'm asking you to do is identify in your life what is doing that. What is having that negative effect for you? Right, because becoming a disciple of Jesus is living with an increasing amount of affection for him and living in an increasing amount of obedience to him. And so the question is, what is keeping you from that? What is robbing you of your affections for Jesus? What is keeping or hindering you, putting things in your way from obeying Jesus? First, you need to identify them, and then you flee. And I'm not going to act this morning like this won't hurt, or this won't cost you anything. And so do yourself a favor and just simplify it. Ask the question, what's the first step I need to take to flee from these things? Paul mentioned for us as he was leading us through communion this morning, this idea of repentance. Right, you hear it a lot in scriptures, you hear it a lot in sermons, that the idea is that once we identify what these sinful characteristics are, we need to repent of them. You know what the word repent literally means in, in the Greek language? It means to turn around. To, to literally just turn around. You're heading one direction, I'm not going to head that way, I'm going to head a different direction now. And you cannot flee from anything without turn it around first. 
You can't flee from anything without turning on taking that first step in the opposite direction. So what is it that you can do this day right now to turn around? Is it inviting just some good Christian accountability in your life? Is it seeking counseling for something? Is it, is it just canceling a subscription? Is it turning off something? Right? Is, it, is it you just need to have a drawer where you put your phone in when you get home at night so you don't spend your whole night looking at it? Is it you just need to get rid of a smartphone and go to a dumb phone already? You just need to delete social media? Do you need to clear out more space in your counter and, I don't know, try saying no to one thing? Just try it out, see what it feels like? And leave some room for God to just have some space to work on you? Like, identify, what is it that's stealing your affection? What is it that's, that's actually hindering your obedience? What's keeping you from living more for him? And then take that first step of turning from it and fleeing from it today. Secondly, the second verse, verb we see here is just pursue. We don't just flee, then we pursue Jesus. We pursue his character, we pursue his word. We've been talking a lot around here lately about going deeper, about taking that next step closer to God. And it amazes me the tendency that we have as followers of Christ, that it seems like the longer it is that we're a Christian, the greater the gaps start to form between us taking another step closer to Christ. It gets longer and longer before we actually take an intentional step towards him. Because somewhere along the line, though we'd never admit this and we never say it out loud, we determine that he's gotten enough. Or that we have enough of him. I've gone this far. I don't really want to go further. I don't really want to go deeper. I don't really like the cost behind this. And so I'm just going to stay right here. And if you're there, you've ever been there, you need to treat that as the spiritual threat that it is to your life. Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians chapter 3, this is, this is the heart of pursuit. Listen to this language. But one thing I do, I forget what is behind and I reach toward what is ahead. Right? And I, as I, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call on Christ Jesus, the Bible lifts up for us a lifetime pursuit of our Savior. And that's why he, he created the church, by the way. Just, just bring it down to here. FBN exists to be your partner in this. That we are here to be the place and the people to help you take that next step and then take the next one and take the next one. And so I'm going to have uh, Devin throw up the Go Deeper page of our website on the screen. We've closed, I think, like 9, 10, 11 straight services just pointing you to this page. But I want you to see some of the options that we have already put in place for you. Right, you can get there, you can get to this page by going our, on our website and clicking the Go Deeper page. You can actually use your camera app to scan the QR code in your seat back. You, if you have no idea about technology, go to our Connect Desk, and one of our Connect team members will help you get there. Right? But I want you to see everything that we have set up. Right? If you're new, then there's, there's two things for you, a, a guest card or just getting connected to us to get uh, emails or texts from us so you can just be in the loop of what's going on. That might be your next step into this place. But beyond that, right, if you've never been baptized, You've never taken that intentional step of obedience to following Jesus into baptism. We would love nothing more than to meet with you and talk with you about that and stress the importance of it. Right? It, it, one of the ways that you pursue Jesus is through personal uh, devotions, through quiet times and personal disciplines of reading the word and prayer. And if you, if you aren't connected to our prayer team, you're not getting updates of how you can pray for people in this body of Christ with their needs that they ask for help for. You can, you can sign up for that. That could be your next step. 
Right? If you're not a member of this place, and you, you might be ready to say, but I won't, I'm, I'm ready to say that the Lord has brought us as a family, brought me as an individual here, and I want to plug in here, I want to declare this as my church home, and I want to open myself up to more and more service opportunities, then you can become a member. And we actually have a new members class tonight at five. So you don't have to go to that page, you can just show up tonight, right? These next two, join a group and serve a team. Right, there, there, are, there are multiple levels of, of steps closer you can take in that, where they are getting you out of this big group experience and getting you into smaller groups of people where either you are in a group and you study God's word more closely and more deeply, elbow to elbow with others, or you roll up your sleeves and you serve with other people. And in each one of those, there are additional steps deeper where once you're in a group, then you can be trained to lead a group. And once you lead a group, then you can be trained to multiply that group and, and be a part of, of building us eventually to a church plant. When you're on a team, you can be trained to take more leadership roles in the team. You can be raised up into ministry director. And each of these places have people who are pouring out their lives to pour into you and disciple you and help you get closer to Christ. Or if you're like, man, all that's overwhelming. I don't even know what the next step is. We have a whole team of elders and pastors who want to meet with you and say, here's how, you, here's how, we, how we can envision you taking that next step deeper in your faith. So listen, when we say we have a place for you, when we say we have a path for you, it's actually true. But you've got to get on the track. You have to take that first step. And then when the time is right, take the next step and then take the next step and take the next step, which brings us to the third point of the verse. Just don't go it alone. Don't try this by yourself. Because each and every one of those areas are designed to get you into community with other people. Because you need it. You need a group to go deeper with. You need people to serve alongside with. You need to connect with others. You need to share with others. You need to pray with others. You need to evangelize together. You need to pursue Jesus together. And if the only thing that's holding you back from that and so you just haven't taken that first step, then what, then what are you waiting for? Listen, the question of the day is this. What, what is that next step of pursuit of Jesus and his character that you can take? Or what, is that, what is that next step of fleeing that you may need to do first? Right, it could be stepping away from something. It could be stepping towards something. But what is God asking you to do today? I have been, since Wednesday, wrestling back and forth with how I wanted to close this out this morning. Because one of the, one of the things I try to do as a shepherd of the place is, is to track trends and, and to see things before they get, they get too far gone, as I like to put it. And there's something that I'm sensing in our congregation. There's something that I'm sensing in our church that I might be wrong about, so I'll give you that disclaimer. But I really don't think I am. And I, I have enough confidence at least just to share this at the end of the day in which I'm sensing that, that we might be losing a little bit of our passion. We might be losing a little bit of our pursuit and zeal for taking steps closer to Christ. And there's a dozen reasons why that could be so. Right? There are things that have happened to this church that have happened to every church. Right? Where we went through, in, in 2020, we went through a, a phase with the pandemic that none of us saw coming. Right? None of us would have, could have ever prepared for it, and, and everything, even those of you who were spared uh, mercifully from that, from that illness impacting your family, everything got harder for everybody. Everyday living just got harder in every way. And then when we opened back up, we had to do it in phases, and every, everything was more difficult. Every, we had to put on more services. We had to stretch out more chairs. We couldn't offer this. We couldn't offer this. And we slowly brought it on. It was just this steady uphill climb that just fatigued people. 
And we all got excited about a, a building project, and there was a great response in the congregation from that, and just been hit by delay after delay after delay after delay after delay, because that's just what life is in 2022, it seems like. And whatever the reason is, it just feels like we've shifted as a congregation into neutral. And here's why that's scary for me. Because when the Bible talks about pursuing Jesus, it always uses verbs like pursue. It always highlights things like perseverance. It always highlights things like endurance, which means this. It means it's an uphill climb. You don't trip and fall into it. It doesn't happen accidentally. There's an intentional pursuit of Christ. And so if you're going uphill, the only thing that I know to be true is that if you're on an incline and you shift into neutral, you don't stay where you're at. Because when you're on an incline and you're neutral, the only thing you do is go back. And so I want to challenge us as a congregation today is how do we shift it out of neutral and back into pursuit? What is that next step that you can take to just say, this is, this is where I'm restarting, I'm rekindling my race today? Maybe, you've, maybe you're discouraged by how little you've been in this book lately. And your next step is that I'm just going to commit to, to joining up with a reading plan. I'm going to commit to start, to start setting aside time in my day to get in this book. Maybe, maybe you're tired of just, or you notice you've just been sitting on the sidelines letting other people serve. You've dropped your kids off to the same servants week after week after week without ever even considering the cost that it's been on them or ever lifting a finger to help. And you might be thinking, my next step is to step into that, to step in, to be a relief to those who have been serving me for so long and to join in what God is doing around here. Maybe today you walked in this place and you were pursuing being your own answer, your own solution, and what you need to turn from is that and turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. Maybe there's a consistent sin that you've just decided, you've shifted into neutral in it. It's just going to be a part of your life, and you've stopped pursuing freedom from that, and you need to retake up that fight. Listen, the thing, I don't know what your next step is, but God does. And so we're going to close our time this morning by just asking him that question, if he would identify for us what is the next intentional step that we can take closer to him. Because if it's been far too long since you've done that, then you've been a neutral, and I promise you, you're falling back. So let's pray. Father, we are grateful that your word speaks reality to us. We're grateful that your word speaks truth to us, that it doesn't sugarcoat anything, and that there are times in our lives where we need to hear that. There are times in our lives where this word acts like a mirror, and, it, and as we read it, it reads us. God, it reveals to us ways that we have slid into apathy, ways that we have shifted down into neutral, ways that we have just sort of given up the pursuit. So Lord, I pray that we would truly repent of that this morning. God, that we would literally turn away from that, we turn our backs to that and re-engage in the pursuit of you and your character and becoming like you. God, would you identify for those within the sound of my voice right now around the room what, what they need to turn from? Would you identify that next intentional step deeper the next intentional, intentional step closer that they can take, that you're asking them to take this morning, that you're asking them to commit to, would you make that clear for them now? And Lord, would you lead them by your spirit to the position of submission and humility and obedience it will require to actually take that step? 
And we ask this in Jesus' powerful and awesome name. Amen. Before we dismiss you and let you run right back out in the distractions of life, we want to give you a couple moments to spend just with the Lord or just asking those two things, him to identify what your next step could be and asking you to commit to following him in obedience. So this is your time with him.